0: Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand.
1: From the Gert Boyle Studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. According to the Oregon Department of Human Services, LGBTQ youth make up one in three young people in foster care. As the agency points out, they're in the system not because of their sexual orientation or gender identity, but because of the lack of support they've received from the people around them. This is the impetus behind an online event called Fostering Pride. The first one was held in June, put on by the state's Child Welfare Department in partnership with Basic Rights Oregon and a consulting company called Unicorn Solutions. They want to encourage more people to become foster parents with a focus on providing LGBTQ youth loving, affirming and culturally competent homes. They're having another event September 26th. We talked this spring with Unicorn Solutions founder Elliot Hinkle, who was formerly in foster care, along with current foster parent Mel Jory Haywood. I started by asking Hinkle why LGBTQ youth have significantly higher rates of foster placements and homelessness.
0: I think a big part of it has to do with um, familial rejection, community rejection, trying to be accepted and not being that. And so either it's running away from home or needing to find another place. And hopefully, the resource and foster care system is going to give them a place to land that affirms their identity and supports them, but it doesn't always work out. And so sometimes that even leads to homelessness. So I think a big part of this is that all young people need um, a place to thrive. And loving and affirming queer and trans youth is both a way to do that and to also prevent suicide. Mm
1: -hmm. It's very important. When did you enter the foster system? How old were you?
0: I was about 15. It was the summer between uh, middle school and high school, an interesting time to transition into care. Yeah. Can you describe your relationship with that family? Uh, yeah. So I had a, a, an initial family that I was with. I actually just got to see them last week in Wyoming for their pride celebrations. And um, yeah. I, ended up, I, I was with them for about three months, and then I moved into a community foster home for about three years, and I stayed there until I uh, entered college and... Um, other things took part yeah <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: what messages did you get from that family you were with for a longer time mm-hmm. in terms of their attitudes towards lgbtq people
0: yeah so i think what was challenging is that and this is something i talk to people a lot about there was one moment sort of when my foster mom said something that told me i couldn't come out to her we were watching gray's anatomy it was the first lesbian kiss on the show and internally i was excited but externally she said something like you that's disgusting and in that moment as like a a 15- or 16-year-old, I was like, I can't come out to you. Mm-hmm. And so I did it, and years later she called me and said, I heard that you're you're queer, and why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, I couldn't tell you exactly when I did it, because I didn't think it was safe. I was worried about housing, not uh, prom or my grades. I was worried about housing and permanency. So coming out was an adventure when I turned into an adult that felt like the options were now mine to make, when it should be that a teen in a time when they're developing their identity can explore that fully and safely. <laughs>
1: I can imagine that for her this was just this this throwaway moment, and for you it was potentially life-changing. Absolutely. Y- you got a glimpse into what she really felt.
0: Yes. And I know that she loves me and loved me then. I think she needed time to really understand, and she eventually came around to that. But at the time, it was so small, but it was huge for me, and I think for young people, that's those moments that really change it for them.
1: Hmm. Mel, what was your path to becoming a foster parent?
2: Um, hi, Dave. Hey. Big fan of your work. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thank Hello, you,
1: Kat, thrilled to have you on.
2: <laughs> um, so I got to give a big shout out to my spouse, um, who is a trans person, Ryan. When I met Ryan, Ryan was doing solo foster care for at-risk youth in the Boys and Girls Aid program, and through the work that he was doing, I I got to see firsthand how important it is to give kids who have been through trauma, who have not found a place to land how important it is to give them an affirming space where they can grow and be themselves and receive that support. So um, so Ryan and I, after we were married, we decided to uh, enter the foster system together and become foster parents. And uh, we have been doing that since March of 2020.
1: How many children have you now been a foster parent to for, for some period of time?
2: We have had six kiddos in our care. Um, of varying lengths of time. uh, We have one adopted daughter uh, who we initially were foster parents for.
1: And have you personally spent time with kids who entered the system for the reasons that Elliot was just talking about, essentially because they didn't feel safe being who they were in other families?
2: Yes, definitely, Um, and Yes, we, we have provided respite care, which is sort of uh, foster care light, uh, where you can provide overnights or weekends uh, as a respite for other foster families. And through doing that, we have had the opportunity to meet and care for youth who are LGBTQ oriented. And they entered care, um, I mean, just broadly, without talking about any one case specifically, they, sure. they have entered care because They just could not find the support. The message that they got in their homes of origin was, you're weird, you're not good enough, you're doing this to push back, to rebel, this is a phase, you're a freak, you know, all of the worst things that you can think of, and just not receiving that support. And so that, in itself, is a trauma experience, regardless of any other factors that are going on. So... Uh, just seeing these kids in care and in a supportive home that, it, you know, you don't have to be a genius. You just support, love, give empathy, allow that trust to build. And the kids just blossom and flourish.
1: Hmm. I'm interested in the last part you were just saying, me because I'm wondering how different do you think that the, the support and love you're talking about is is from just the regular love and support that you'd want a, any kid to be growing up with if that question makes sense
2: it makes total sense Elliot and I were actually talking about this in the green room earlier it's it's not different every Mm -hmm. kid every youth deserves a, a love that includes asking questions about who you are what do you like what are you interested in and if it if it doesn't vibe with your personal belief system mm. you have to be able to pull back and say well i am here to support this human being growing into the person that they're meant to become this isn't about me so it's it's really not different there's not a special gold label on lgbt Rainbow label. yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean like we we say that so it's visible and we and we can like be proud of who we are but youth need the same levels of care and attention. Everyone, you know, is worried about their grades, everyone is worried about their friend group, you know, they're gonna earn their first paycheck, they're gonna have to figure out how to do chores. It's all the same support yeah. them. Yeah. I think it's
0: such a gift though too when young people are willing to tell you who they are. When any person shares with you who they are, that to me is such a like sacred gift and mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. hope is that people would shift to a place of like, thank you so much for telling me, how can I support you? What is What do these terms mean for you? What can I connect you to? Instead I think people sometimes are afraid of this information and want to shut it down and that for me is sad because there's a young person in front of you trying to figure out who they are and you have an opportunity to help them figure that out. Um, and celebrate that
1: how much support um do prospective foster parents or even prospective uh, respite care people get from the state
2: great question <laughs> um it it can vary but there is a lot of support available. Um, My family has been fortunate to have a really fantastic certifier. And that is a person who works with ODHS to do a home study, basically make sure that you're a safe place for kids in the foster system. Um, And our certifier, I'm going to call her out, Katie Sherman. (laughs) Um, She, she has been an integral part to us getting support because you know, we've we've had six placements, and, and each of those kids has had a whole different set of caseworkers, lawyers, corn-appointed specialty advocates, just a lot of different people to work with. So uh, the certifier is really the central hub of getting the support. So you you have an ally who can help you navigate the system. Any Anything like DHS is going to have some bureaucracy to navigate, but you can do it, and there's help. <laughs>
1: Elliot, it seems like one of the big reasons for this event this coming Tuesday is is to get more people um, who have the time, the inclination, the desire to help, to to actually get them to take part in this um, important and potentially, not not potentially, I think life-altering decision. I mean, to take part in in helping people who don't have help in some other way. What's your pitch? How do you yeah. get adults to actually say, "I'm going to open my home up"? Yeah, I think it's such a gift to have someone
0: in your home and to help them grow into adulthood to successfully launch a into gift it. To,
1: to the adult. A you're gift saying. to the
0: adult and the youth. I think both people ideally get to um, grow and learn from this opportunity. And when your home is affirming as a young person, you'll be able to actually develop a relationship with that family or that person and to launch into adulthood feeling supported and affirmed. And so, I want people to understand that a we need more placements we need them to be affirming for young people and um As much as there can be challenges in being a resource parent, I think many of them are the same challenges any parent faces. And there's so much reward to sort of helping someone get into adulthood successfully. And so how can we help convince people to say that, like, this is a journey that may be challenging at times, but really is going to pay off and give you a lot of joy, a lot of self-reflection, a lot of even new connections and family and um, experiences you would have maybe never had. Um, What a gift to give to that young person as well.
1: How do you think about family reunification mm-hmm. in the context of the the kind of intolerance that we're talking about mm-hmm. here? Let, let's say that we're not talking about you know, serious substance use issues, mm-hmm. which are leading to that version of, of mistreatment. We're sure. talking about someone not accepting their kids for who they are. Mm-hmm. How, do you think about unification in that context. Yeah. I mean, I think when I've talked
0: to young people across the country about if your family had received uh, services around reunification and supporting and affirming you, would they have taken place in them? A lot of them have said sort of, I'm not sure, maybe, um, because it's hard to understand and even imagine that when it hasn't gone well. But I think for plenty of youth, they're also like, it would have been great to see my parent engage in that process. So if there had been a process to say, "I, I want my family to get it, can we get them counseling, support, information? I think for a lot of young people, when that healing does happen, it's so huge and reparative. So for me, I think it's important that we give that opportunity. For me, the first priority of foster care is reunification first. If we can get a young person back to their family, let's do that. So if you want to become a resource parent, you may not be the forever parent, but you may still actually be in their life for a lifetime. You might be a mentor or a community connection.
1: Hmm. I mean, this gets to a broader question that I I don't expect anyone to have a magic answer for this, but Mm. obviously it would be better if all biological families with queer youth were were supportive and loving if they created homes where their kids knew that they belonged. Mm -hmm. How do you make that more likely? Yeah, I think giving people
0: access to information and exposure. When I've, again, gone across the country and talked to people, I've sat down with um, cisgender men who have questions that just are needing to be answered, but I think there's this fear of someone's going to cancel them, they're going to get it wrong. But often they just needed information to sort of get that much closer to being supportive and affirming. So when when I can take the time to be patient and say, let me clear this up for you, let me Mm. answer these questions, I can see people year after year that I reconnect with sort of grow in their understanding and ability to affirm. It's not the work for everyone. It can be very exhausting work for me as a trans person Mm -hmm. and a person from foster care, but I also see it working, so I sort of want to do that tedious hand-holding of, like, (laughs) let's get you to the place where you can be there.
1: Creating a a safe space to make
0: mistakes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's the only way we're going to grow and learn. I think so much can be done there. I've experienced a lot of harm. I went through conversion therapy, and for me, I would still love to sit across the table of the people who put me in that situation to say, like, Let's talk about why it was wrong and
1: how you could have better loved me when that was what they were preaching. You know, it's interesting that you brought up the phrase conversion therapy because in a sense, that's what I was... I was imagining when you're yes, talking about helping like parents, <laughs> yeah. that's that in a sense is <laughs> yeah. what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, and for me, it's like it's not so much conversion; it's it, that to me would be the reparative mm. part of it, right? Of this, like, I want you to understand your humanity and the humanity of the person that I know you love. You love your child, right? And so, if that's the case, how can we get you to a place so you fully see them without wanting to sort of cast apart these parts of them? There's a quote from Alok Bhadbandon that says, "What parts of yourself did you have to destroy in order to survive in this world? Mm-hmm. Youth shouldn't be destroying any." parts of themselves to survive in this world.
1: Elliot Hinkle and Mel Jory Haywood, thanks very much.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Elliot Hinkle is a founder of Unicorn Solutions, which supports child welfare, youth mental health, and LGBTQ people. Mel Jory Haywood is a foster parent, in addition to being a show producer and a recovering stand-up comedian. The next Fostering Pride event is Tuesday, September 26th. We'll be back after a short break.